So I thought we'd do this little series on real ID. It's just talking about who we are in Christ. Just It's kind of a reminder for us. Sometimes um, we can lose perspective on things like this. And each week we'll talk about a different aspect of uh, remembering who we are in Christ. And, but let's, uh, and you can pray for Ken. He wasn't feeling good tonight, so they stayed home. But uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll uh, have our study. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for um, the gift of salvation uh, through Christ. And, and Lord, we pray that you would um, just remind us of some very basic things when it comes to our faith that sometimes we tend to forget. And Lord, especially when we're bombarded by a bunch of different things um, from this world. And Lord, we um, pray for Pastor Theo tonight. We pray that you would uh, be with him and his wife and their ministry over there. Lord, that you would um, help them to... Uh, effectively continue to minister in spite of all the things they're dealing with and pray for her health that she would recover and uh, for the others too in their church that are affected by this virus thing and we ask that you would just be gracious to them and lord we um thank you for protecting us here as a church and pray for those who were able to come out and we think of uh, ken tonight uh, who's just i don't think he's sick he's just kind of worn out from the day and just pray that you would uh, give him a good night's rest and uh, refreshed and, um, Lord, we uh, pray that you would just uh, minister your word to our hearts now. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, so, uh, you can turn in your Bibles to Second Corinthians chapter 5, and I'll just read these verses. And um, this isn't a real long study or anything, but it, it'll be uh, hopefully encouraging. Second um, Corinthians chapter 5. Uh, verses 17 and 21. Paul writes there, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that is in Christ. God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses uh, against them. And entrusting us, uh, and, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making His appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled uh, to God for our sake. He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Um, who's got their real IDs? You refuse. <laughs> you must have a passport. But uh, yeah, I got mine. I went down and got it a couple months ago, actually. And uh, I went right right before five o'clock p.m. and it worked out perfect because they were closing. <laughs> so it was like okay, just ushered you right in. You got right through pretty quick. Um, uh, you know they they say about fifteen years ago. The department, it seems hard to believe it's that long ago, the Department of uh, Homeland Security passed the Real ID Act, uh, and it goes fully into effect in October of this year. Um, and it's, it was designed, really, to establish, you know, that minimum security, the minimum requirements for uh, federally uh, related purposes, most significantly when you travel um, on an airplane. And... The idea basically means that each person, everyone, uh, will be required to provide 
documentation, either a real ID or a passport or something to verify that you say who you or you are who you say you are, and uh, that our our country has confirmed that. And um, so, if you haven't got one yet, uh, you got through October, I think, unless they extended it some. Oh, okay. So you're right. They did extend it a year. No, I think uh, the government, probably because of COVID. That's what Peggy said. I didn't hear that, but cool. But anyway, um, you know, when I thought about that, the the real idea, I thought, you know, well, you know, that can kind of relate to us as our true identity as believers, as those who know Christ, those who have come to Christ and are children of God. And, you know, when you properly understand who you are in Christ, it really affects... Uh, in a positive way, really, your own self-image, how you uh, view yourselves, how you think about yourselves, uh, what you feel about yourself, maybe even how you relate to others when you have that security of knowing who you are in Christ. And so I just thought we'd do this little series. It's a three-week thing, but um, the purpose really is to uh, discover who you are in Christ or to be reminded of who you are in Christ, how to um, become and how to fully live up to the expectation of who you are in Christ, the the person that Christ made you to be. So, um, I don't know, does anybody remember the name Sarah Jane Olson? Um, Sarah Jane Olson, she was born Kathleen Celia back after uh, the, the World War II, she was baby boom, and in her 60s, um, or in the 60s, she moved around uh, the country and she ended up out in the West Coast and she attended college, and she wanted to pursue a career in acting. And eventually she became radicalized and uh, became part of the, uh, uh, the, simply the, the Liberation Army, that whole group that was back then. And she participated in various um, uh, bank robberies, various acts of murder, um, various acts of violence, I should say, even, even murder. And after she was actually indicted for her crimes, if, this is hard to believe, before she could be arrested, she went underground, got away. And she went back all the way to Minnesota, <laughs> and she adopted an alias. And this is back in the 60s. But uh, she lived as a, a fugitive for more than 20 years. They couldn't, didn't know where she was. And during that time, she had actually got married. She married a doctor who was very um, wealthy, very influential. Uh, she raised a family. She became an active uh, part of the community, sponsoring all these things, you know, flower club, just living the life of affluence, you know. And uh, then her past, her true identity, came to light. It caught up with her. And it was back in 1999 when she was arrested. And she was ultimately sent to prison. I mean, can you imagine after all those years, it's like, yeah, I got away with this. Um, and once in a while, you hear stories like that. You know, you hear stories of people that, that spend their entire life pretty much pretending uh, to be someone they're not in reality. Um, and the reason they do that is usually they're trying to avoid coming to terms with who they really are or something they've done or something like that they're trying to hold. And, and I thought about this lady, and I thought, I wonder what she thought all those years as she's entertaining all these rich people in her rich house and doing all these flower club things and everything. I mean, did she ever feel like she was just a phony? Like, you know, she's always looking over her shoulder. Uh, 
that she would be found out. That would just be, I couldn't sleep at night if that was the case. You know what I mean? I mean, how would you know? I mean, that would just be so embarrassing. And that story is kind of extreme. It's true, but it's, it's extreme. Um, and there are many who live in that, a lot of different ways that way, different similar fashions. Um, they're not necessarily, I would say, fugitives from justice, but they're fugitives from themselves. They're fugitives from their past. The sins of their past, their, their past failures, their past hurts, whatever it might be. The pain maybe that they've endured, the shame that they've experienced. And on the surface, it looks like they're living a kind of a normal life maybe even a charmed life, but underneath, they know that just one slip-up, <laughs> then it could shatter the whole facade that everybody else is seeing and exposing what's really there. And, you know, we all have some form of an image of ourselves. I mean, we get up in the morning, hopefully you look in the mirror and adjust whatever needs to be adjusted and go on with your day. Um, we have that image of ourselves, but we also have the image that we try to project um, on ourselves, or we have that image that other people project on us, uh, which sometimes isn't that good. And sometimes that image, even that we have of ourselves, it can be inaccurate. Sometimes it's not, but sometimes it can be inaccurate. And um, I just want us to focus for the next couple of weeks on who we are in Christ, not what you think you are, not what others think you are, but what matters worse, what, what you're what matters most, what your real ID is in Christ, who you really, really are. And the reason we can find this out is because it's determined not by what we feel or by what other people say, but it's determined by what God says about us as his children. And so that's what we want to look at. And um, that's what we want to focus on. And tonight, as we look at this passage in Second Corinthians, there's basically three characteristics here of your life in Christ that I want you to see. And these are, like I said, this is not rocket science. This is something, oh, well, it's a profound truth. It's just something that will hopefully remind you um, and give you that sense of confidence of who you are in Christ. And the first one here, if you're a follower of Christ, the first characteristic there in your outline, I put down, you are a new creation in Christ. And that's what the text says. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Um, the Christian life, it's all about being given a new life, a completely brand new life. You're not um, getting an upgrade. You know, you're not getting, a, a, you know, a old software upgrade, installing new. This, that's not happening. You're getting a, a whole new instantly. You're wiping everything out and starting over. You know, sometimes that's the easiest way to upgrade a computer, back up all your files, go to your hard drive, wipe the whole thing out, and reinstall the whole system over from scratch. And then as long as you keep your data, that's fine. But then you got rid of all the bugs. You got It's a brand new system. And, you know, that's really what happens when we become a believer, that, that God doesn't use, you know, part of this and this. It says he makes us a brand new person in Christ. And I don't know if you've ever bought a book and you really like the book and then years later maybe the same author puts out a book and you don't do your research and you're thinking, well, I read the first book. It's got to be great, right? So you buy the second book and you open it up and it's the same, same stupid book. 
It's just got a different title or a different cover. And it's like, wait a minute. You know, maybe an extra chapter thrown into the back, you know. And I'm like, why did I buy this thing? Uh, and, and that can be very <coughs> frustrating, <coughs> you know, when that, when that happens. That can be very irritating because it's kind of a, um, you know, you go out and you spend money. And then, and a lot of people do it. You know, they put a new color on the cover, whatever it is. And, you know, somewhere on the cover it does say, this is a reprint of, you know, the 1980 version this book or whatever uh, and usually the, the new cover is a little more attractive than the old but when you go between the pages the text between the pages hasn't changed at all nothing has changed um, and sometimes that even happens with music you know they'll release a new album and it's not really a new album it's just that the covers changed um, makes it look new and you also see that with new and improved products uh, you know, you, you, you see something, it says, ah, it's new and improved. Well, if it was so good in the beginning, my question always is, why did you have to new and improve it? Um, you know, that doesn't make any sense. But Christianity, on the other hand, is just the opposite. It's just the opposite of that. Because the change, as our relationship with Christ is blossomed, and we become a new person in Christ, he says, we are a new creation. Um... It's, it changes you from what? The inside, right? It, it changes the very nature of who you are, you could say. It makes you a brand new person through and through. Uh, it's not a tune-up of the old self. You know, a lot of people think that, that salvation is simply adding Christ to your life. And that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that um, you're not you know, just adding Christ to your life, you're a brand new creation in Christ. And when you think about it, it's a whole new operating system. When you think about it, before you were in Christ, how would you describe somebody who's not a believer? They're what? They're dead, dead in their trespasses and sins, right? That's what the Bible says. And, you know, that's where we all once were. And, and when you receive the Lord as your as, as your Savior and your Lord, um, you were made brand new in him. You're a brand new person. And, and that's what Paul says here. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, anyone, doesn't matter who you are, doesn't matter what your background is. And if anybody could say this, it was the Apostle Paul, because he was out, what, killing Christians when he was Saul. <laughs> so, I mean, he definitely needed a remake, right? Um, but that's why he says anyone. He doesn't say, well, if you're really, really bad, then, then God has to just wipe everything out and start over. He says, no, you're all really, really bad. And if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Uh, the, the one thing I think we, we fail to remind ourselves is when we come to Christ, when we accept him as our Savior, when we commit our lives to him, a new, a new person, a new creation takes up residence within us. We're not the same old person. Um, that person is the new you. You may look like the same person on the outside. Uh, you may sound like the same person. Um, even at times you may struggle with some of the old stuff, right? I mean, because we're still in a, a sinful body. But on the inside, we're a brand new person. And that's because God has made us new. And, which means, what, the direction of our life has changed? 
I mean, if you look at the disciples, think about those who came to Christ. I mean, you know, a lot of them were fishermen, some of them were businessmen, some of them were doctors, whatever. I mean, when they came to Christ, what happened? They left all that. Their, their, the direction of their life radically changed. Um, they looked like the same. That's why people, when they were doing certain things under the power of the Holy Spirit, and people looked at them and they said, wait a minute, aren't these these fishermen guys from Galilee? How, how are they doing this? You know, how are they talking these different languages? How are they doing all this? You know, because it wasn't them doing it. It was God. It was the Holy Spirit. Uh, and so we need to be reminded of that, that we are a new creation, even though we may look the same on the outside. I remember back when I first became a believer, I was introduced to Christian music and uh, contemporary Christian music. And I used to sneak away from college because we weren't allowed to listen to it there. But we'd go down to Calvary Chapel, San Diego, and um, we'd go to Christian concerts there. And um, the, the one guy I went to see was a guy but he was saved out of the hippie movement, so he still had his long hair, straggly hair. He just looked like a total freak, but his name was Chuck Gerard. And he was totally transformed. He was a believer, a real radical Christian. And he was telling this story, and it was, it was kind of funny because, you know, he got saved out of that whole movement, the counterculture and all that stuff. And, and back then, and, and even in that time, in the, the early 80s, you know, there was a sentiment within the church that, you know, um, if God saves someone like that, then get your hair cut. I mean, that's just, you know, I mean, it, that's just what was in people's minds. You would never think that, wow, they, they wouldn't change their outside. And this guy didn't. He didn't cut his hair. He still had his beard. He just looked ragtag, like he just came off the street. But he was truly converted and everything. And he tells this, this story. One time he was signing uh, LPs back then after the, the service one time. And this lady... This little old lady came up. She goes, I really enjoy your music, and I'm so, glad, I'm so glad that God cleaned you up on the inside. Now I'm going to keep praying that he'll clean you up on the outside, too. <laughs> and I thought, wow, isn't that our perspective, though? You know, because just the opposite is true, too, right? You can see somebody that looks, wow, they just belong in church. But their heart is as hard as anybody's, and they're far away from God. And so, you know, we have to be um, careful when we make judgments like that, but it's an inside job that God does on our heart, on our being. And, and you know, we can't mistake, we don't want to make the mistake of thinking that salvation is merely just a change on the outside. You know, you're just whitewashing something. Um, I remember we were back in Pennsylvania, and I'm looking at the house, and, you know, I'm like, ah, this, this needs paint. You know, it just needs paint. <laughs> And, um, and I thought, if I just put paint on it, it'll look so much better. What it would, but it's not going to change anything <laughs> to the structure of the house, right? It still is, it needs a lot of help. So, you know, we, we can't fall into that when it comes to our, our Christian life. And that's why Paul said over in, in Colossians, actually, in Colossians chapter 3, I think I put it there in, the, in your outline, but in Colossians chapter 3, he says, and you, in verse 13 and 14, you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, look at what he says, God made alive together 
with him, having forgiven us of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with his legal demands. Then he set aside, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. And this kind of leads to the second thing here, is we not only have to understand that we are a new creation in Christ, that we're no longer a fugitive to our sinful self, but secondly, that we've been reconciled to a relationship with God. You know, it's one thing to say, well, I'm, I'm no longer part of that crowd, but what crowd are you part of now? You know, you, you don't run from your sin to nothing. You run to your, from your sin to the Savior. Uh, and so it says there that you've been reconciled to a relationship with God. And that's what he says there in verses 18 and 19 of the text. He says, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. That word, if you had to define that word reconciling, how would you define it? Help me out. Made right? Okay. Accept it. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Okay. What's that mean? You make things right. Right? Like you said. I mean, and that's really what it is. I mean, you know, from the very beginning, it was Adam and Eve who had that relationship with their creator. And then what happened? I mean, this is the gospel, right? What happened? Sin entered the world. Okay. Well, what happened? The relationship was breached by sin. They no longer had the relationship they once had with God. And what did God have to do? He had to bring about reconciliation. You know, they couldn't do it themselves. If you recall in Genesis, what they tried to, right? They hid. First thing they do, they hid, which is just stupid. I mean, how are you going to hide from God? But they did. They tried to anyway. And then, you know, they went through the whole thing. But then they, it says that they tried to take fig leaves or whatever, some kind of make a grass skirt out of whatever, and, and the Lord said, well, that's not going to work either. You know, so what did he do? He provided animal skin, so something had to be killed in order for them, for their sin to be covered, which is a picture of, of Christ to come. But that's why, why Paul says here that all this is from God, because it can't come from us. Salvation can't come from us. It has to come from God. And then he says, who through Christ reconciled us, so he gives us the means of this reconciliation. He doesn't say, yeah, you know what, you need to be reconciled to God. I hope you figure out how, that, how to do that. He There's a lot of different ways you can be reconciled to God. You know, you could, you could go help the homeless, you could join the church, you could, he doesn't say that. No, nope, there's just one way, who through Christ, through Christ and his sacrifice, reconciled us to himself. And you notice also here, it really speaks of the, the supernatural um, kind of source of this reconciliation. Because it doesn't say who through Christ is reconciling us. It doesn't say who through Christ will reconcile us. What does it say? Who through Christ reconciled us. What's that mean? It's already done. 
I don't think we were around when this was written, right? But in God's mind, we were. Just amazing when you think about it, that God had us on his heart even before there was in us. Because God transcends time. And not only that, it says there, but he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So God, through Christ, creates a joining back together of a proper relationship with him, is what it says. But then he says, okay, I can't stop there. I I want you to have that same kind of, of ministry of reconciliation. Um, the idea of really that, that, that God wills sinful men to be reconciled to himself, that's, that's really what the gospel is all about. The gospel is about reconciling people to God through Christ. In verse um, 19, he talks about the message of reconciliation. So he gives us the ministry of reconciliation. This is what he expects of us after we become believers you know, the Bible tells us, you know, that we should be able to give a defense for the hope that lies within us, and we should know the gospel. We should be able to share the gospel, I would say, within three to five minutes with somebody we've never met. We should know it that well. So if you're on a bus and you've got two stops to go, somehow you can share the gospel with them if the opportunity comes up. You know the gospel that well. And if, if you don't, go on YouTube, I think it's on YouTube, and just type in... Um, Several people do it, but be safe. John MacArthur shares the gospel in two minutes or three minutes or whatever it is. He's got a video on there, and he just, it just shows him sharing the gospel. And I think it's on the Larry King show or something. And he's just very exact, very concise. He just memorized what he says because that's what the gospel is, you know. Um, and you, we should be able to ha- be able to do that because that's the ministry of reconciliation. In verse nineteen, he says that is in Christ, God was reconciling the world to Himself. He was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. So the same message that we're saved by is the same message that we carry out the ministry of reconciliation. But when you think about the reconciliation we received, the Bible says that we were dead in our transgressions, we were dead in our trespasses and sin, and now we've been made alive. We've been given supernatural life. I remember when I was a youth pastor, our youth group used to sing this song. He paid a debt he did not owe. I owed a debt I couldn't pay. I needed someone to wash my sins away. Because <laughs> I couldn't do it. That's, that's really what reconciliation is. Uh, now there are some people, unfortunately, that don't, they insist that they don't owe any debt. You ever talk to somebody like that? You try to share the God. What do I need a savior for? Well, have you ever heard of someone? I don't have any, I don't have any problem. You know, they just don't want to deal with it. They think that they have never done anything that requires forgiveness. Um, I mean, and usually the people that say that, when you step back and you look at their lives, they're the ones that, they're just filled with brokenness. And you can clearly see that they need a savior, they need forgiveness. But they don't think so. And it, when you look at that, it's like, wow, something's not adding up here. Uh, and there are some who say, you know, I don't 
need a God to forgive me of anything. And usually, all you have to do is start asking some questions about their personal life. You know, one guy said that to me one time. I said, hey, you have a family? Are you married? Well, I have some kids, but I'm not married anymore. I said, oh, so you have an ex. Yeah. I said, I wonder what she would think about your statement that you don't need to be forgiven for anything. If I went now, if I was able to interview her, well, you know, maybe I did some things. See, when you dig down to it, you, you ask the, the people they're married to, you ask the children, you ask the coworkers. Everyone is in the same boat, right? We all sinned. We've all sinned. And we all continue to sin to some extent. Um, but it's beyond impossible for us to redeem ourselves. That's why God had to step into it. And um, we can't fix our fallen nature. You can try, you can try, you can try to remake yourself, you can try to forget about it and pray that it go away. It doesn't. It just keeps on coming up, coming up. And regardless of the image that we've tried to project for the world to see, the fact is, is that without Christ, we're all just fugitives. We're all fugitives. And like that lady I read about earlier, Sarah Jane Olson, you know, we may have been able to fool the people around us for some time. But you know what? When we look down deep in our hearts, we know that we can't escape that. And we conclude, I owe a debt I, I cannot pay. <clears throat> and it's for that reason that Jesus took our place. See, people need to hear that. Um, that's what Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 says. For by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not of your own doing, right? It's not, it's not something you can do. It's a gift that God gives us. It's not a result of your works so that no one can boast. And sometimes that's hard for people to understand. That's a stumbling block. Wait a minute. So you're saying God just wants to forgive me. I just, yeah. It's a gift. It's a free gift. Well, why is he doing Because he loves you. Nah, I don't believe it. You know, it's just... It's, and it is hard to believe. Have you ever pondered your own salvation? Have you ever laid in bed at night and said, why did God save me? And after you come up with all the logical reasons, well, uh, then you realize, well, no, they're not good reasons at all. And then you really start contemplating your own self. And what's it do? It, 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 it drives you sometimes into the depths of despair, thinking, why did God save me? I mean, I'm a wretch. By his grace. Then you realize, wow, it's... I wouldn't be anywhere. I wouldn't have anything without him. And it's good to think that way. Rather than walking around like some self-righteous person. Oh, yeah, God saved me. He needed me on his team. And, you know, I've actually heard Christians say that. It's like, whoa. Well, I'll put air quotes in, as my granddaughter does, you know, uh, Christians. Because, you know, you wonder where they're at when they make statements like that. But if we've been made right with God, we have to realize that we have all the mercy that we need because he provides that. We have all the forgiveness we need because he provides that. He's provided all the grace that we need. All that has been poured out upon us because we have committed our lives to him. And we've trust, trusted him for our salvation. Um, over in Ephesians, it, it uses, Paul uses this, the word uh, lavished talking about, you know, uh, God just lavishing his love and his grace upon us. And that word is just, it's just overflowing, 
amount of grace. It's not, you know, just a little eyedropper. Oh, yeah, I'll give you a little grace to get you through the day. Uh, we didn't deserve any grace, but it says that he lavished us with his love, with his grace. And it was given to us even though we don't deserve it. Um, it's just amazing. Uh, we didn't earn it, but we were given the opportunity to receive it. Basically, the love of God knows no limits. The Bible says his mercy never ends, it never ceases. Um, in Lamentations chapter 3, right? Great is thy faithfulness. Boy, your, your mercies are what? They're new every morning. I mean, just think about that for a second. Every morning, you get to wake up as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and say, you know what? Today, I'm right with God. As I step out of bed, I am right with God. That's, that's just amazing. Not because I'm in a good mood today, <laughs> but because I've been made right. My position in Christ is right through, with God through Christ. Um, you know, I think sometimes, you know, people are fugitives from justice, fugitives from their past. But we have to understand, in Christ, we've been reconciled. We've brought back that, he's brought back that relationship with him through his sacrificial death on the cross. In verse 21, he kind of points this out. Look at what he says, for our sake, for our sake, our believers, he made him to be sin. Who knew no sin? You know, he's really speaking of the purity of the, the nature of Christ while he was here on earth. Someone once asked me, well, don't you think Jesus did something wrong? No. The Bible declares him to be without sin. And we see, after example, after example, after example, you know, if I was in Jesus' shoes, I would have knocked some heads right about then. But he never does that. Never does that. He handles things rightly. He handles things without sin because he was sinless. And yet, the Bible also says that he was what? Tempted and always, even as we are. So there's that weird weirdness there because I remember talking to, to someone in our church one time and they said, well, yeah, but Jesus didn't sin because he was God. I said, right, and continue. She goes, what do you mean? I go, well, he was also what? Man, right? He was 100% man, 100% God. See, if he was just God, how could he relate to us? Right? That's not what the Bible says. He came down, he came through, did the incarnation to give us an example so he could relate to us, all that stuff. But also, because God can't die, he had to die a death. And so he took on a human body. And the one who knew no sin, it says he made him to be sin. He took upon himself. You know, he imputed, like God imputes to us Christ's righteousness because we have no righteousness of our own. Well, in Christ's situation, he was completely righteous. So what did God have to do? God had to take our sin and impute it or lay it upon him so that he could pay for our sin. If that didn't happen, he couldn't have paid for our sin. There'd be nothing laid upon him to pay for. He would have been perfect. 
And that's why God had to do it. He couldn't do it. God had to, in, in him we might become, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You know, if you've ever said this, I, <clears throat> I'll never be good enough to make up for all the wrong I've done. I've heard people say that. God says, you know what? I paid your debt completely. If you've trusted the Lord Jesus Christ, you are in a right relationship with me. Nothing else matters. Now, that doesn't mean that, you know, if you live a rough life, there's going to be circumstances, right? I mean, there's things involved later on in life. But even God gives you the grace to deal with that. And there's something about knowing that your debt is paid for. Uh, If you've ever listened to... uh, Dave Ramsey on the radio. You know, these people call up and have a hundred thousand dollars in debt, and now I'm debt free four years later, and they're just so excited. Why? Because the debt is gone. They don't owe anybody anything. And I thought, wow, if we can just relate that to our own spirituality, understanding that, you know, we weren't just a hundred thousand dollars in debt, we were millions and millions and millions of dollars in debt. And God came along and said, here, it's taken care of. It's paid for. You know, we can relate to the money thing. We have a hard time relating to it spiritually. And so it's good to remind ourselves of that. That God desires us to be spiritually debt-free. And not only desires it, but he's made a path for that. So we're a new creation in Christ We've been reconciled to a relationship with God. And then the last point here, and then we can just discuss this a little bit. Um, we have a vital role to play in the purpose of God. See, it's one thing if God just says, yeah, okay, you had this sin problem, I took care of that. You had a relationship problem with me, I took care of that. Now just go have fun, that's it. But no, he knows us too well. So he, he includes us in his purpose, right? Because, I mean, that's why he left us here. Um, In verse 18, Paul says that God gave us a ministry of reconciliation. In verse 19, he says that he entrusted to us, as believers, the message of reconciliation. And now, in verse 20, he says, therefore, because of that, you're ambassadors for Christ. When you think of that word ambassador, what do you think of? Representative? Yeah, speaking on behalf of someone else. And so he's talking here about his ministry and his message, the message of reconciliation. He's talking about also you and me as well. This is our work. This is our ministry. This is what we're called to do. You know, you don't have to pray about this. This is something that God has given us. You, know, you don't have to be an elder, a pastor, a Bible study teacher, anything like that. This is what we're called to do as believers. That we should let those around us know that God is ready to be in a right relationship with them as well, no matter what has happened in their past, if they're willing to come to Christ. Um, an ambassador is someone who's sent, usually, I mean, th- think of our government. It's, it's someone who's sent to live in a foreign land, on a compound somewhere that represents the property of the country they're from. Kind of like its own little sovereign nation there in, the, in a foreign country. And they're there to represent their home country and their home 
government. Um, that's why, you know, even <laughs> recently, some people in our government have gotten in trouble with this because whether it's in the military or whether it's ambassadors, their role is what? To represent the president of the United States. Doesn't matter whether they agree with it, they disagree. They're not there to create their own little kingdom. <laughs> that's, that's the wrong... So you see once in a while people getting fired or getting axed or whatever. Well, they, they, they think, well, no, I'm, I'm more than an ambassador. You know, uh, I'm going to be my own government head here within the administration. That doesn't fly. It's not set up that way. And it's the same way for us. We don't get to be saved and then just do whatever we want. We're called as an ambassador. Uh, they speak for the leadership of their homeland. And so when we are out with the ministry and the message of reconciliation, we have to understand that we play this vital role. God has a purpose for us. He hasn't just saved us to, to kind of flop around here on earth for a couple more years. Um, God's basically saying to us, I want the world to know about me. I want the world to know about my son. I want the world to know about my grace, my mercy, my forgiveness, my love. I want them to hear about all those things, redemption, everything. And you know what? It's your job to take the message to them. I want you to be my representation, my representative, my ambassador. And it, it, it aligns so perfectly with what Scripture says about who we are here in this world, doesn't it? Because where is God? God is, you know, in heaven. That's the presence of God. And so where are we? We're down here on earth. This isn't our home, right? How many times do you hear me say, this is not our home? We're just passing through, right? We're, we're, the Bible says we're foreigners. We're strangers in a strange land. And it's getting stranger by the day, okay? It's getting really weird down here. With all the weirdness going on across our country. We're like visitors on foreign soil. And the minute you believe otherwise, you have an unhealthy attachment to this place. It would be like an ambassador in Italy declaring Italian law the rule for his for his uh, doing whatever he wants to do over there. That wouldn't be right. Why? Because he's not representing Italian law. He's representing the United States of America in Italy. Have you ever heard, you know, a lot of these foreign dignitaries, and we receive it as well when we when you're a foreign dignitary overseas you have diplomatic what? Immunity. Immunity. Why is that? Because that's not their country. They're not from there. And a lot of people abuse that, don't get me wrong, but it's just doubling down on the idea that this is not your home. You're just here as an ambassador. And that's the same picture that God wants us to have while we're here on earth. Our citizenship is where? It's in heaven, the Bible says. That's why the Bible says don't, don't focus on things down here. What? Keep your thoughts heavenward. Think on things above. But while you're here, you're what? His ambassador. You're God's ambassador. You've been given part, a part to play in this, this purpose, this eternal plan that God has. I mean, what a privilege that is. He's invited 
us to representative. I remember when I was smaller, even in Little League, sometimes, you know, you'd go out and you'd practice. And I wasn't the best player or whatever, but I, you know, played once in a while. And, um, but I remember, you know, during the practice thinking, I don't even know why I'm practicing. I'm probably not going to play this game. You know, yet I'm putting out as much energy as, the, and, and usually more energy, because you kind of want to show the coach you're doing well. And then the star player, he's sloughing off when the coach isn't looking. He's not doing the push-ups or whatever. And I thought, yeah, it just doesn't seem fair. It doesn't seem, doesn't seem right. And it's just, you know, it's just kind of weird that way. And that's, and that's sometimes, I mean, we can get that kind of a, a you know, a, a feeling. But, you know, that's not where God wants us to go. He wants us to keep focused on, you know what, this is not our home. And you know what, you need to do everything you can to do what he's called you to do because we're part of this plan. He, he's invited us to represent him, to speak on his behalf so that all may know that we come into contact, at least that there's one God who loves them and has given his life for them. Um, so when you open your eyes every morning, not only can you say, today I'm right with God, but you can also say, you know what, today I have a purpose, I have a plan. I, I have a position to fill, a role to play, a job to do. Today, through my words, through my actions, through even my attitudes, I want to try to represent Jesus Christ the best way I can as his ambassador, because that's why he made me. That's why he left me here. So, you know, sometimes we can get so focused on things going around us, we forget that we are a new creation in Christ. We forget that we've been reconciled to to God in a relationship. We forget that we have a vital role to play. You know, we're just cowering in our homes. Lord Jesus, please come now. That's not what God's plan is right now. You say, well, how do you know that? Because if it was, he would come. (laughs) Okay? So as long as he has not come, he's not... I don't think that we're really, you know, called, you know, to, to, to pray that God would come back any sooner than he has planned to come back. Because until every person that's going to be saved is saved, I guarantee you he's not coming back. And so he's left it up to us to make sure that that message gets out there. That's our true identity in Christ. That's who we really are. That's our real ID. You know, don't try to hide from your checkered past because in Christ, that's not who you are. Um, he's given you a new creation. You are a new creation. Um, that's why Jesus told Nicodemus that he had to be what? Born again. You know, Nicodemus, I can't even clean you up, man. You're, you're one of these religious people. I can't clean you up. You have to be born again which means you have to be born from above. You have to become a new creation. We have to be reminded of that. Um, And I think as we do, it begins with knowing who you are, God's creation, God's friend, God's ambassador, God's very own. And, And I don't know about you, when you start thinking in terms of that, you're a child of the Most High God, that gives you a little bit of motivation. It gives you a little bit of confidence. You know, that when you go out and you share with people, yeah, they're going to be critical. They're not going to like the message of the gospel. They're not going to run to you and flock to you and say, oh, tell me more truth. No, they're going to criticize you and mock you or whatever. So what? You know, you're, you're on the right team in the long run. 
And this is all just temporary anyway. Uh, I was talking to my friend Joe today down at the coffee shop. And uh, I haven't seen him in a long time because of this COVID thing. And he asked me to come to coffee. So I said, sure. You know, so I was praying this morning. So I was driving over there. Lord, just please. You know, this guy needs to get saved. He's Catholic. And we've had some good talks. But since his stroke, he's just different. I don't know how to explain it. So can't really comprehend a whole lot that way. But he was telling me last time we were together, we, he started uh, talking about uh, his church, the Catholic Church, and all this stuff. And I said, yeah, you know, I told you before, Joe, you know, I used to be Catholic. I was an altar boy. And, oh, you were, you know. And I'd, I'd been through this with him before, and I thought, well, maybe he doesn't remember. I don't know. So I just thought, okay, this was a couple weeks ago. And I just thought, well, I'm just going to share, you know, boldly with him, you know. And I said, do you ever think about what you believe, you know? I mean, you got this altar, you got this guy, this priest. And I just went through the whole thing just in really raw terms, right? And he goes, yeah, but I'm Catholic. I said, I know, but it's just a religion, dude. It's, it's not going to get you anywhere. It's nothing. It's a dead end. I've tried it. It doesn't do anything for you. Well, my mom was Catholic. You know, he went back on that. And I, I have to be Catholic because, you know, she'd turn over in her grave. Well, she's not going to turn over in her grave because your mom is, you know, not here anymore. But, you know, and I was able to share the gospel with him. But I, at the right time, I mean, I could tell. I don't want to take him off. But at the same time, I just said, you know, I just want to give you that to think about. You know, well, I appreciate that. You know, you're always, you always shoot straight. I said, okay, great. So today I'm going over there and I'm thinking, I'm all excited. You know, maybe he's thought about this, whatever. And just, he turned, brought up all this political stuff and I'm trying to weave Christ into the, the thing. And then somebody else showed up. And then, uh, wouldn't you know it, this other guy asked me, hey, are you still the pastor up at that church up there? I go, yeah, yeah. He goes, yeah, I walk by there. What do you guys believe up there anyway? I'm like, oh, really? You want to know? So, I mean, and Joe sat there very politely. He goes, yeah. And he even said, he goes, oh, that's a really good church up there. And he goes, oh, have you been there? He's, oh, no. I goes, he goes, I think I told you one time I'll come after my mom dies, but I, I'm still kind of scared about, about breaking my promise to her to remain a Catholic. So, you know, but I had an opportunity to share the gospel again. I don't know if it's going to go anywhere, but I thought, you know, that's what we're called to do. You know, to be bold, to share the gospel, and let it sit where, where it sits, and, and let God do that work in their hearts.